It's time to clip your last good piece and dig in because the runout starts now. Today's show is brought to you by Outdoor Research. Whether the good kids on your list this year love epic adventures in the mountains or just looking oh so fine in the cafe after a brisk dawn patrol, Outdoor Research has the gift-giving goods this holiday season. This year, try not to be embarrassed by your bro's tears of joy when you hand him a transcendent down hoodie from OR. Don't duck the hug when your bestie opens her amazing ascending jacket. And though she's a purist, your grandma will learn to love the splitter gloves you give her. Look, grandma, no sticky residue. So if you want the hugs to come fast and fierce this holiday season, shop all the gifts designed to spark adventure at OutdoorResearch.com or your favorite local shop. On November 19th, Connor Herson, a 15-year-old high school freshman from Emerald Hills, California, became the sixth human to free-climb the nose on Yosemite's El Capitan, only missing the fifth ascent to Keita Kirakami's extraordinary free rope solo by a few days. Supported by his father Jim, a longtime valley climber, Connor freed the famous climb in a three-day push, only falling on and then repeating the changing corners pitch, rated 514A. Connor has been surrounded his whole life by a climbing family, including his dad, his mother Anne, and his badass older sister Kara, who, incidentally, climbed Half Dome in winter and the nose-in-a-day Sands Jumars as a mere tween. On today's runout, Andrew Bishrat and I, two aging climbers well past their prime, grill the young Connor Herson, a climber only on the cusp of his vast potential, about what makes him tick. I'm Chris Kluse, and you're listening to The Runout. Cool. Well, welcome to the show, Connor, and I uh, really appreciate you coming on the run out and telling us about uh, this recent adventure you had up on El Cap. Yeah, thanks, Connor, for being here. Yeah, super impressive and uh, big news in the climbing world, and safe to say you inspired a lot of people with your achievement. Yeah, well, thank you. It's certainly a pleasure to be here. So let me ask you a few questions about your background in climbing. Um, let me just get a little bit of a rundown of who you are as a climber, maybe when you started, what your inspiration was from the beginning, which really couldn't have been that long ago since you're 15 years old at this point. Basically, my parents have been climbing for 30 years, maybe more. So I basically come from a climbing background. So it was really interesting, though, because they didn't they never forced me to climb. They never said, oh, you must climb. But it was the deal was like, okay, we're going to the climbing gym. You can bring toys, you can entertain yourself, or you can climb if you want to. So for a few years, I would just, uh, you know, bring my toys to the gym, just play at the gym. And then eventually I discovered climbing and it was just really fun. And I loved it. How old were you when, when, when you made that switch from toys to, to plastic holds? Plastic was a bit after outdoor. That was probably when I was about maybe six, seven, eight years old. Not exactly sure. So your original beginnings were outdoors. Yeah. My parents and I would just do these multi-pitch, super easy routes in Tuolumne. There's a 5-4 called Holdless Horror. That was one of my first, as well as a climb above Tanai Lake called, I believe, Hermaphrodite Flake. Um, just super easy climbs that, you know, my dad would lead. My mom would come out, like, boosting me through the cruxes. And 
So that was probably started around like age four or five. And your sister climbs as well, right? Yeah. So she had the same thing. That's cool. I I mean, it can kind of go either way. It feels like sometimes you just want to rebel against the things that your parents want you to do. But it sounds like they did the right thing to kind of just let you encourage yourself until you were were interested in it. They did something right. So Yosemite was kind of your your go-to spot on the weekends. How close do you live to Yosemite and, and where else did you climb? And, and, and just talk, talk us through that. So Yosemite is about four hours away from us. So we could go there most weekends, but it definitely is a long drive, especially, you know, even since I'm not the one driving. But then if I'm just going with my dad, he has to do all the driving, which is a lot for him. Um, it's a lot for anyone, actually. But we would go to other areas, too. Some weekends, we just climb the gym. Um, that happened a lot. Sometimes we'd go to this local sport crag called Jailhouse Rock. It's about two and a half hours away from us. That had really good sport climbing. But Yosemite was definitely our go-to trad place. What was your favorite? I mean, it's just so different. Like, you know, Yosemite crack climbing, it's just... It's so different than like that overhanging sport climbing, really. But I mean, they're both good in their own ways. I, um, yeah, I, I love them both. It's really is a treat to be able to go out so often. I've been uh, just doing a little research and, and reading some articles that have been written about you online in the last uh, week since this news broke. And um, I, I see that you've climbed, you know, 514C sport climbs and, and now uh, a 514 trad climb with the nose, um, as well as you have a, a background in competition climbing. How do you classify your, your interest as a climber? Do you call yourself a, a trad climber? Do you call yourself a sport climber? I should call myself kind of an all around climber. I just do what, like, what I'm most psyched on, for instance. Like last summer, I was doing a whole bunch of competitions. Before that, I was doing a whole bunch of outdoor sport climbing, so I hadn't done trad in a while. So then, obviously, this fall, I switched back to trad. So I'm kind of just switching between the three. Um, like, right now, I would definitely say, like, right now, I'm, be, I'm definitely a trad climber. I think competition season's about to start again, so that might... So, like, pretty soon, I'll be, like, more competition-focused. But I definitely say, like, in general, I, I would say I'm an all-around climber. So Chris, Chris and I are uh, well versed in the middle aged climbing scene as well as the um, the two year old climbing scene, but we don't know anything about the fifteen year old climbing scene. Is it, are you a rarity among uh, your peers in terms of your all around preferences? Through competitions, um, I can just meet so many new people, and um, it's really great because I can just meet people all over the country who have similar aspects from me. For instance. Um, there's actually one other kid who like loves doing trad climbing. He's from Michigan. His name is Hobbs. And he uh, he actually came out to the valley this fall and we just did some climbing together. Um, it was really fun because like last year we took him up half dome. Um, this year we played around on some of the pitches on the nose and it's just really fun to like have somebody else my age there. But in general, there are not that many people who like go completely all around like I do. That is an interesting question in, in terms of trying to frame kind of what your life as a climber is like. Andrew was joking about how we have the middle-aged climber scene on lockdown, but um, it, it does seem to be a bit of a rarity for kids to be climbing outside. Do you attribute that, or not climbing outside, but climbing, track climbing, um, do you think you attribute that to your background in terms of your dad and your family, sort of put that idea in your head from an early age? For sure. I, I would definitely say that I basically got into it through my parents. Um, 
like not everyone is as fortunate to have um, parents who are so into climbing. And basically I have a partner whatever I want for the valley compared to, you know, other people who are on the competition circuit. And there's some people who their parents don't even climb, which um, so then all of a sudden for our climbing trips, they have to find their own partners. They have to go their own places and try to climbing is just such so much more difficult logistically. What what first drew you to the nose? I I, I don't believe. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I don't believe you've climbed or free climbed any other El Cap routes. Why why did you focus in on the nose as as being your first free climb? And to be honest, the nose is the only El Cap route I've done. Um, I haven't done any other major El Cap routes besides the East Buttress and the West Face. Um, but I don't know. I just think the fact that it's just such an iconic route. It, like just goes right at the center of El Cap and it's just so famous. Um, you see in like, I was like heard even like from when I was like young about like Lynn Hill about and how she freed the nose um, in 1993 and how it just blew everyone away. So I think just like how iconic the route was. And yeah, it was, it's just like such a cool route. How old were you when you first did it? Um, when I first did it, um, I was 13. Okay. So not too long ago. So when, at what point since, I mean, in the last two years, did you, you know, have this realization that you could possibly, uh, you know, free it when, you know, only the best climbers in the world had, had even attempted it and only, I mean, what, five and then, or no, four and then five just before you did it, um, had ever done it before. What, you know, it was a pretty audacious thought to think, oh, I'll just come up here and free climb this thing. No, definitely the first two climbs I did. I did the nose once when I was 13, once when I was 14. And those times I wasn't even really focusing on freeing it. Although um, I was actually able to, um, the first time I did it, flash the glowering spot. It's a 12D pitch at Camp 5. Um, I, I was able to flash that pitch on top rope. Um, I, I was expected to pull through, but then I just like kept climbing and didn't. Um so that kind of showed me that it was like kind of possible, but I wasn't really thinking about free climbing it then. And even after I did the nose um, last spring when I was 14, um, I didn't really have free climbing it in my head, but it was just the weekends afterwards. Um, it was one weekend. I don't know why, but my dad and I just thought, decided, oh, let's go up to changing corners and just play around on it. And so I went down and I, I tried it. I was nowhere close and I just thought, this is crazy how hard this is. And then the next day we decided to hike back up there again. Um, and on the way, and that was about the time when Tommy Codwell and Alex Honnold were going for the nose record. And it was one of their training runs and they were walking down at the same time we were walking up these sledges. So I, we met with them. We, we tried for a while. And then uh, Tommy actually told me some beta with um, your feet on the changing corners where you put your, right foot on the left side of the corner and your left foot on the right side of your corner, like basically scissoring your feet. And he told me that. And, and I went down and I tried it and that day I got all the moves. Um, so I think at that point I was like, I felt like, Oh, this pitch could happen. And then later that spring I went back up and I red pointed the pitch on top rope. And I thought, wow, this could happen. And I heard from Tommy that changing corners really was the hardest pitch. Like the great roof was also really hard, but other than that, like the nose, wasn't as bad. It was just those two pitches. So in this fall, I came back and 
um, I got the roof on top open. I that's when I like really realized, wait, this could actually happen. I, I don't know how much you think about grades in general, but do you, do you have any thoughts about the difficulty of those two pitches? Um, I know they've been sort of debated over the years, and they've kind of been consolidated as the great roof is a thirteen C, and the changing corners is fourteen A, perhaps. I mean, to be honest, I don't really have a frame of reference because I've, uh, I mean, I haven't free climbed anything else. I don't haven't done many other hard pitches, but they seem like from what I knew, they seemed about accurate in that they were both way harder than any of the other pitches and changing corners definitely was a few steps up from the roof. Um, so I, I definitely would agree with the grade ranges, like, you know, around 13 plus for a great roof around 14 minus for changing corners, the exact details. I don't really know, but, uh, it's, they seemed right to me. The nose is one of the most, one of the busiest rock climbs in, in the world, in Yosemite at least. I imagine it's difficult to project a, a, a route like that where there's, you know, people just trying to get up it in, in a traditional aid climbing fashion. Were you self-conscious about, you know, projecting these routes being a 15-year-old, you know, teenager up there maybe taking falls and, and there's someone down at camp four waiting for you to get off the pitch so they can do their, you know, their aid ascent dealing just with other parties on the route. That's, that's a common experience on El Cap. And I'm wondering if that was a part of your experience. Definitely was. Um, what really helped was that last spring. I don't think, I think we went up there a total of four days last spring to work changing corners. I don't think I saw a single person the entire time, um, at least on the route. So that was really helpful because you didn't really have to think about like, Oh, am I getting in their way? Oh, are they going to be wanting to do this? Um, so that was actually, that worked out really well. Um, this fall, there were quite a few more people. Um, and, uh, on the lower pitches, it was kind of funny because it was a bit awkward. Like the people, uh, there'd be haul bag people, there'd be people hauling and, um, we'd be climbing up to the great roof. Um, in a day and they, and they'd ask, Oh, are you like going for the NIAD? And we would just say, Oh no, I'm just going up to the roof. And they're like, and at that point they're confused because they see a 15 year old going up to the roof. <laughs> so they're like, Hey, what are you doing? Are you like training for an in a day ascent? And I was like, and it's kind of awkward because I have to like say like, no, I'm working out the free moves without like trying to seem like pretentious. And it's, um, and it's like kind of funny at the same time. Uh, uh, it sounds like it's, that's going to be a problem that you're going to have to get used to over the next few years, Connor. <laughs> so, I'm so, sorry to say. But. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then and then sometimes like when wrapping in, they see, you know, people will like see somebody like propelling and they're like, well, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm just going down to the changing corners. I'm like, oh, why are you doing that? And I'm like, oh, I'm just working it out. In the fall, we still did rappel in a few times to work changing corners. And sometimes the crowds have been it like a like serious issue it's been really crowded and um, we're just trying to stay out of people's way so for instance the weekend when my friend Hobbs came out to visit the first day we were going to ra- repel into changing corners but there were like multiple parties at every belay and it was just too crowded we we just couldn't do it so um from the belay above changing corners like there are too many people we just we just climbed out we couldn't do it um so and then the next day we we're going to climb up to the roof from the ground but then again, we also had issues. Too many people. We were going too slow. We didn't get to the roof either. So um, 
like that weekend, I basically didn't get it, get to any of the crux pitches. And the next weekend, we try we were actually trying to rappel into the roof. And um, at the end, there were eight parties on the roof. So what we were doing is we were trying to like in between parties sneak out for a for a burn. And <laughs> there's one time, um, I think they were um, happy that I did that. But I, with the party's permission, I um, I basically cleaned the roof for the horizontal section so the follower could just do the entire ro- roof in one big lower out. So while the follower was doing that, I worked the roof. Um, with that, day, it was pretty crowded. So yeah, logistics are an issue for walking that route, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why it hasn't seen why it's seen so few ascents is that you have to either like walk up from the top, rappel in for changing corners, and the great roof is super awkward because it's right in the middle. It's like, do you go from the top and rappel all the way down, or do you go from the bottom and climb all the way up, which is a lot. So. Um, it's definitely a logistical challenge. So do you imagine yourself uh, thinking about doing it or freeing it in a day, uh, sort of like Lynn did a couple years after she freed it? Something like that in your mind? I, I've thought about that. Um, when I did it this time, I the only times I fell were on changing corners. Obviously, it's not going to happen this season because the weather's turned already. So it depends. Like if I can remember it well enough next spring... Once, if the roof dries, or um, maybe even next fall, but then I'll have grown, I'll fit into the different pitches, I'll fit into the changing corners differently. Um, although it would definitely be super cool to try it in a day. Looking at the logistics of your scent, I, I feel like it it wouldn't be a huge step for you. But I had never, <laughs> I'd never thought of that problem that you'll have of growing. That's kind of a new thing, I think, to think about on something like the changing corners that all the previous, uh, all the previous suitors didn't really have to think about the fact that they might grow over a year between tries. In youth climbers, actually, um, I've noticed it can be an issue. Like whenever whenever anyone has a growth spurt, like it's like almost like they don't really know where their limbs are. So like <laughs> it hasn't really happened with me because I grow really slowly. Right now I'm five one and I'm 15. So that's definitely below average. I think third percentile in height. But um, I, that can definitely be an issue. Right on. <laughs> That's just kind of funny to hear somebody say it. Um, I'd never, again, I did, just wouldn't have occurred to me that you'll grow your beta, you'll grow out of your beta, basically. Um, but I don't know, Ho- hopefully that, that, that something on your horizon, because I think that'd be super cool. And um, it sounds like you're, you have all the skills uh, to do, you know, a fast free ascent of something like that. Uh, so if you're 15. What are you, what is that? Ninth grade or 10th grade? What, what grade are you in? I'm um, a freshman, so ninth grade. Freshman. Okay. What are your like academic interests or do you do other sports besides climbing? What's your school life like? For me, academics are definitely first. Like while this climbing is cool and it's really fun, it's obviously best to, you know, stay on top of your schoolwork, which is, um, that's why I wasn't missing school for, for this project. So um, I'm definitely a rigorous student. And then the only other sport I do, I run cross country. For my school, which a bit unfortunately is in September. So when you have to be there at practice after school five days a week, you can only climb on weekends. Um, so my gym, gym climbing definitely has gone down, but not my valley climbing since I can just go out to the valley those weekends. Yeah, school is definitely first. Yeah, well, and the, the other, I guess the other big question when you're talking to uh, uh, someone who has their whole life ahead of them um, is what what do you think? Um, is next. What are your What are your goals that you're looking at now? Um, as As you you've ticked this route that probably was logistically 
one of the harder ones to do on El Cap, as we just talked about. Um, do you have other things in mind? For me, climbing is just supposed to be something that's you just do for fun. And I never really want to feel pressured or anything. So the way I take goals is I'll just do what I'm psyched on. Um, so I never try to set goals that are like more than a year. That would happen more than a year. Although I did expect the nose to take more than a year, but that's a different story. So I'm just going to kind of do what I'm psyched on. There's some climbs that, you know, look really cool. There's so many free routes on El Cap. For instance, I could look at the Solitaire. Like the head wall just looks amazing. The 13C corner, I believe it's pitch 19 or pitch 15, just looks really good. I also, uh, since slab climbing is one of my strengths, I was thinking about maybe looking at the slabs on Lurking Fear um, or really just anything else that seems appealing to me. Um, there's so much time. There's so much to do. Like, just do what seems fun to you. Do you read uh, climbing literature? Do you, do you have any interest in the history of the sport? I've met a, quite a few teenage or younger climbers who are extremely talented, but they have no real you know, interest in learning about the sport's history. And so I'm, I'm just curious if that is part of your upbringing. Yeah, I mean, I definitely do enjoy looking at climbing literature, seeing what's happened in the climbing world. Um, I look at, you know, all the climbing magazines that there are. Um, and, uh, you know, definitely like look through the guidebooks. Sometimes guidebooks have like really cool stories. Um, and I also have read a whole bunch of the books by climbers, like the most recent ones, like Tommy Codwell's book, The Push, um, Alex Honnold's book, Alone on the Wall. Yeah, I read Hans Florin's book, The no On the Nose. Um, I haven't read like the books um, that are like a little older. Like I believe there's a book about the first nose in a day. I haven't read that. I would, that's actually something I should read. You know, we've been talking a bunch about your dad being a big influence on you. What about uh, your contemporary climbers, these folks that you're reading about? You mentioned Tommy and Alex and Hans Florin. Uh, who else is, you had a sort of set of baseball cards of your favorite climbers. Who who, who would we be talking about? That's a tough one. I, I mean, like anything big, like Tommy Caldwell, for sure. Um, definitely Adam Andro when he just came out to the Valley um, a few years ago and just did the Dawn Wall. That was so impressive for me. And then his on-site attempt at the Solitaire. For sure, also, um, Kevin Jorgensen, who came from a bouldering background to just do the Dawn Wall. I mean, of course, Alex Honnold. I also am really inspired by, like, really, like, any form of climbing, like, sport climbing, bouldering. You know, Adam Andrew doing Silence. Margot Hayes doing the first, being the first woman to do a 515. Just any climbing feat is just super inspiring. So when you got back after your free climbing the nose... And you're sitting in, you know, math class. Did your peers know what you did or have any idea what it was that you did over the weekend? At school? Um, no, like there are a few other climbers at the school who knew, but um, just normal school day. Um, yeah. You didn't show up and just be like, I just freed the nose. So, uh, you know, maybe. Show me a little respect. <laughs> yeah. <people>. What's up? <laughs> um, no, I. <laughs> went along with school. <laughs> I've talked to several climbers over the years that, you know, were were pretty accomplished in high school and they all had a similar feeling of of just, you know, they went out and did their thing and then showed back up and everything just went back to normal when they got back to school. So Exactly. That's uh, maybe more impressive to me than you free climbing the nose is that you didn't boast about it in uh at 9 a.m. on school the first thing. That's what I would have done. Well, <laughs> 
Well, I mean, they're not really climbers, so they probably wouldn't understand. Yeah, right. You're, you're, you're both sort of falling on deaf ears of like, you climbed up someone's nose? <laughs> <laughs> um, I have one, uh, one last question uh, before we go. And, you know, I saw a, a nice video that your dad posted of you with a, a tribute to your friends who, who were killed earlier this year, Tim Klein and Jason Wells. Were those guys uh, on your mind? during this ascent and and how did that play out yeah they uh definitely were last spring when i did the nose um it was actually with tim klein and like the whole climb like i was just focusing on doing the climb and then he's he was saying the entire time uh connor i think you could free this like here try the free moves here try like here let's do the jardine and not the king swing so you can see what the moves are like and like that was definitely an inspiration for, for me um that was definitely another factor as to like why I chose the nose and uh, especially like with Tim on that one climb, like he just, he basically had confidence that I would be able to do it. I was definitely thinking about them. I don't know if your father ever gave you a talk on risk and just safety and how, how that played out or if there was like a, you know, if you had to do the equivalent of a driver's license test in order to start lead climbing trad or how, how was, um, how were those discussions played out in your, in your upbringing as a, as a climber i mean he's definitely just emphasizing to just like double check everything triple check everything i mean because if you think about it um like statistically like if you don't double check like something's bound to happen you know you look at um lynn hill when she took that fall um after not finishing her knot that like that's the kind of stuff that if you don't double check it's basically inevitable so you just like really been drilling to double check and triple check and my first trad leads, we would have another person who would blame my dad coming up behind me and he would be, you know, maybe two or three pieces below me just checking all my placements. So it wasn't like he just threw me at the wall and said, go climb. And what's your relationship with fear? I, I sort of imagine that, you know, a kid your age is just whatever, gung-ho. I don't even think about it. it. Is I mean, do you get into scary situations and how do you take care of that? Like climbing related? Yeah, climbing related. We're talking to girls, what, whatever, whatever makes you the most scared. Definitely like climbing related stuff. You know, for instance, doing a pitch and uh, it was one pitch off uh, Dalt Tower. Um, I think my first time leading that pitch, I, uh, my dad said, oh, take a number three, you're going to need it. Because um, we were linking those two pitches and the second pitch off of Dalt Tower had just a super wide section that, you know, only threes and fours would fit. So later what I would do is take that number three. Um, I may have even taken a uh, number four and just dra- like slid it up with me. But then that time I, I didn't think it would really be necessary. Like, cause the way he said it. So I placed it early on, like before that wide section. And then that wide section, I basically just had to like run out and it was in the sun. It was kind of greasy and I couldn't fish jam. So I had to basically like do this sketchy lie back with really no protection. Um, like there was maybe one fixed piece in the middle of it that I could clip. So that was definitely a gripping lead. Um, and and then later on the first nose push, uh, on the first stove leg pitch, um, it was like maybe 5'8". And I was just completely cruising. And at the end of the pitch, I was, there's like one weird kind of awkwardly wide section. I was like past that. And I was, I think I was going up to the anchor. My foot slipped and I fell. I took like a 25 foot whiffer and it was like my first big whiffer on lead. That was definitely scary. Probably more scary for your dad. <laughs> yeah. 
what happened so quickly? Like I wasn't expecting it. And then it just, it just fell. What words of uh, wisdom or advice would you want to share with your fellow 15 and 16 year old peers who have, haven't dabbled in, you know, El Cap big wall adventure climbing? What's your pitch to them on why they might want to get into this? I would definitely say um, really good to mix things up. Like I've seen a lot of people who go in the competition circuit, have really good results when they're young, maybe get a few results that they don't like and then quit. They get burnt out and people who are just just have gym climbing. So I feel like it's really nice to um, just be able to just get something different. Like it's still climbing and it's still like you still get that great feeling of climbing that all these kids climb for. But it's just like less pressure. Basically, every time you're in just most gorgeous place and you just have like scenery everywhere and you can just basically be in a world of your own, just enjoying climbing. Awesome. Well, um, uh, thanks, Connor, for uh, speaking with us. And uh, we're, we're certainly big fans and rooting for you on, on all of your future uh, goals in Yosemite and elsewhere. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Connor. I think it's probably one of the more fun and joyous and inspirational stories that's been out there in climbing in a long time. And I, and I hope you're enjoying at least a little bit of accolades that you're getting for it. Well, thank you. Don't let it go to your head. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. Sure. You should. No, do. Yeah, yeah do. <laughs> if you have a comment, topic suggestion, or just a good bit of climbing trivia, join us at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash runoutpodcast or drop us a line at our webpage runoutpodcast.com. <laughs>